Hi, I'm Mark Rotterman, and this is Front Row. Coming up, the latest on consumer confidence, the debate over masks in schools, and can the Democrats hold the U.S. House in the midterms? Next. Major funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Ku Ewing through the Ewan Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities. And by... Funding for the lightning round is provided by NC Realtors, Helen Lockery, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, Stephen Gleason, and Jane and Van Hip. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row. Welcome back. Joining the conversation, Mitch Kokai with the John Locke Foundation. Republican State Representative Aaron Perry, Jay Chowdhury, the Democratic Whip in the Senate, and Jonah Kaplan with ABC News 11. Mitch, let's begin with the latest on consumer confidence. Mark, the University of Michigan compiles a consumer sentiment index, and its preliminary August reading was 70.2. That is the lowest since 2011, a full decade, and it's 13% below the 81.2 number that was uh, registered in July. It's lower than the previous low of the pandemic, which was about 71.8 back in April 2020, very early in the pandemic. And this was a surprise. Economists had actually expected the number to be much higher, closer to the number that they saw in July. When we see large losses of this type, economists say it's always because of some sudden negative impact in the economy, like the outset of the pandemic or like the financial crisis. And people are saying that we're probably seeing this large drop now because of the Delta variant, concern about inflation and other major What about changes. the premium of all this money? Yeah, inflation is, is a factor. The fact that we're pumping trillions of dollars now into the economy. I think a lot of people have concerns. It's going to be interesting to see whether this is a long-term impact or if this is just a blip. Jay, is this transitory? Do you still think it's transitory? I, I do think it's transitory, and I think if you look at the uh, consumer price index and you exclude energy and food prices, it only rose by 0.3%. I mean, there's been a tapering off of um, raw materials. The used car market, which we've talked about in past shows, that has seen an increase now has come back. Uh, the other thing I would say is I think that there is a gap between the consumer sentiment and what consumers are actually doing because we're seeing an increase in wages, we're seeing the stock markets up, and we're also seeing actual job gains. We added almost 943,000 jobs last month. Well, this is kind of a unique time in the calendar, too. I mean, I, I think the time to really weigh in on consumer confidence, maybe around Thanksgiving and around the holidays, because right now you have people buying all their back-to-school products, but is this a time for gift-giving? Is this a time for home remodeling? Is this a time for vacations? I, not in my family. So I, I don't, you know, these are one of those buzzwords, consumer confidence, where I think, you know, yes, they're, they're good for economists and, and they're interesting for, you know, political junkies like us, but what is it to everyday Americans and how their lives are going? I, I just don't know how you'd gauge that. Aaron, does it have a political impact, though, in the midterms, you think? Well, I think it absolutely does have a political impact, but I wanted to make this point, though. I, it's a notable drop, but it's probably not very surprising. I mean, as a business owner myself, if someone asked me, what do you think about the business environment now, and what do you think about the business environment six months from now, you know, we have vendors that um, are holding product that we would otherwise sell in our retail store. Is but that a supply chain issue? It's a supply chain issue, and I think there's supply chain issues that haven't been resolved yet from last time. 
and there's no indicators going forward, at least that I can see, that that's going to be resolved anytime soon, and we'll see what happens with further further difficulties for business or lockdowns with COVID. Can a political disruption overseas impact the supply chain, you think, Mitch? Yeah, it certainly could. And back to the point about whether this is transitory or something permanent, I think a lot of the reason you saw this drop is that people have been seeing what's happening with COVID and the Delta variant and saying, oh, no, we remember this movie. We've already seen it. What happens if we have to go back to lockdowns, if governments tell certain businesses they have to shut down or have to change their hours, or if consumers, because they're concerned, decide they don't want to come out to restaurants and don't want to come out to businesses? Anytime there's uncertainty, that causes problems for business. And if you have consumers who are becoming more wary about going out and doing shopping and going to stores, that will have a long-term consequence. Jay, you have the final word, about 30 seconds, my friend. Well, I, I mean, I think Mitch is right. I mean, I think the consumer sentiment is really tied to the fact that we're seeing dashed hopes about the economy rebounding. But again, you know, I think my position would be that there's concern about the Delta variant, but there's a difference between what how consumers feel versus what consumers are actually doing. Okay, I want to change topics. Aaron, the mass debate has reunited in the schools. Reignited, not reunited. <laughs> That's yeah. right. No, I think this debate has, we've seen it all over the country, but I think we've seen it really flare up here in North Carolina. Um, there's a lot of parents who are very passionate about this subject on both sides of the issue. So we see long lines and protests at school board meetings, um, people wanting to have their voices heard. Um, and I think we've seen that here, right here in, in Wake County uh, with um, some parents who are really worried about not just the lack of masks, but masks being put on their children and some mental health uh, repercussions for that, um, some health impacts on that, and also parents who are really worried that there won't be masks put on children in public school because of the contracting of the Delta variant. And we see more of that in children and that coming home to maybe um, affect grandparents or parents that may have comorbidities. Uh, so I think, you know, we hear some parents talking about the mental health impacts on their kids and then the health impacts, even from wearing the mask. It's a very emotional, contentious issue. But the North Carolina House of Representatives passed the Free the Smiles Act um, a few months ago. And before the Senate could take it up, Governor Cooper essentially made that policy in the state, right? So this Free the Smiles Act would have taken the mask mandate requirement from the Governor Cooper and put it down to the local school board level, which is what we're seeing now. Is there data from the CDC that shows mask work? I mean, these are not things you would see in an operating room. There's been mixed reviews. There are some studies that say that the masks that people have been using in COVID-19 are very effective. There are others that say they aren't. To me, the interesting piece about this debate is that people are of more than one mind on what to do. A shameless plug for the John Locke Foundation, our latest Civitas poll took a look at this issue of masking in schools, and you found that 55% thought there ought to be a requirement for people to wear masks in schools. Pretty strong support for it. But on the other hand, the second question said 45%, the plurality, said that parents should be the ones to decide first and foremost, whether their kids should wear masks. Those are two very different things. If there's going to be a requirement, it's not going to be the parents requiring some other parents. It's going to be a government entity doing it. So I think people have a mix of views. They have some thoughts about what they want for themselves. They also have some thoughts about what they want for their kids. And sometimes those are different. Jonah. 
it's become this proxy war, right? So yes, it's the mask, but it's really not about the mask. It's about power and decision-making and school boards versus state government and local government and who ultimately has that authority. North Carolina, the governor has given right, the authority right. to the school boards, but he's also put a lot of pressure on the school boards and the school boards, I mean, if you look around the triangle here, this is where we're based. I mean, pretty much every single district, including the rural ones, I mean, like in Johnson County and Moore County, they've got masks. Harnett County is probably the only outlier around here. Um, if you look at a place like Florida, I mean, there's also, is it really about the mask or is it about kind of using that as a partisan debate where Governor Ron DeSantis is telling all the districts, you can't make this decision, but the school district is saying, no, it should be local. So, you know, should the same principles be applied to dress code? Is that a parent thing or is that a, is that a, um, a school thing if they want to have a dress code? So I think this is just kind of a, a proxy more and emblematic. I will say I'm a parent. Um, my three-year-old now has to wear a mask. Okay. I'm not that happy about it, but if it's for the greater good, I, I guess. Jay. Well, I, I'd say a couple of things. I think on the idea of whether masks are effective, uh, the, I think the studies, I mean, Duke University, the ABC Collaboratory that's been funded by the North Carolina General Assembly has looked at studies in North Carolina and other states, and they have shown that outside of vaccination, universal masking is the second best way to deal with the virus. So that's that's point number one. Point number Perfect. two is that we're seeing that uh, school districts that have adopted voluntary masks require, uh, policies now have gone back, and we've had two school districts outside of Mecklenburg County that have done so. Last thing I will say is I think that the approach that we're seeing by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and the Texas Governor really is backfiring in the sense okay. that they are leveraging we, their influence over local schools. We districts. need to move on. I want to talk about the Cook Political Report, some interesting things they had to say about the congressional election. And by the way, that is a nonpartisan report. Yeah, and if you look at history, too, it doesn't look good for Democrats in control. I think it, when Barack Obama was president, the first midterm election, Democrats lost 63 seats. I mean, that is, I think the term he used was a shellacking. And before that, when the Democrats held in the 90s under Bill Clinton, Democrats lost more than 40 seats. It could go the other way. I mean, we know that President Bush lost the majority in the House. We know President Trump lost the majority in the House. Uh, you know me and sports analogies. In Vegas for the Super Bowl, there's 16 pages front Jimmy and back the of, the different, uh, of the different bets you can take. Vegas should get in on this because the the how much how many seats what are the different factors who are the different states what is to play you have a lot of incumbents that are not running that are usually safe you have a reapportionment Republicans control more state houses who can now reassign or who can now redistrict there are many many factors at play but it doesn't necessarily look good for Democrats and that's without taking any of the actual issues into play how big a deal or issue will Biden's handling of, of Afghanistan be in the midterms? It'll be interesting to see. I don't know if the issue will last that long by the time people get to vote. They're concerned about it now. Will they be as concerned about Afghanistan then? Maybe. Will he be but, an issue himself, his handling of the crisis and his handling of other issues? I think he will be an issue, but I don't know if it'll be the crises that we're dealing with now or whatever crises are on hand when people go to vote. One of the bad things for the, those who would like to see Democrats do well in the 2022 election is that Joe Biden's uh, numbers 
numbers have been going down. We talked in a previous show about the numbers among independents. Going back to that latest Civitas poll, uh, President Biden had been about 50-50 in North Carolina, but the latest one shows that he has only 42% approval, 53% disapproval in North Carolina, including 48% strong disapproval. If people are going to tie themselves to President Biden, that's going to be tough for them. Jay, will people, will candidates run as Biden Democrats, you think? Uh, you know, I think so. I mean, you know, a couple of things. I think one... Well, would they run individual campaigns? Well, I think they'll do both, but I think, you know, certainly attaching themselves to being a Biden Democrat um, up until recently was a good idea. I mean, I, certainly as a general rule, there is a presidential penalty for the party that holds uh, power, but I'd say a few things. Number one, Mark, as you know, 14 months is a lifetime in politics, and so anything can happen between now and November 2022. And the second thing is, and we, you know, we haven't talked about this, is, you know, the Republican Party still remains the party of Donald Trump, and, and uh, President Trump seems to be more focused on relitigating the 2020 the election than focusing on policies going forward, and I still think that that's a liability for Republicans going into the Aaron, what are you hearing in your district? Well, I think that this upcoming election is going to be less about personal and more about policy and the issues. And one statistic that really caught my attention was the drop in independent voters who are favoring or supporting Joe Biden right now, but not just Joe Biden, but Roy Cooper. So in North Carolina, that's a big deal. Independent voters at approval rating for our governor at 31%. That's pretty notable, and that's going to be important in the suburban areas. Uh, there's a lot of independent voters that really look at issues. They look at their bottom line, their family, education, public safety, rising crime rates nationally, um, the situation at the border, overseas, the economy, uh, all that's going to play into it. And I think those voters are going to vote issues instead of what we have been seeing, which is maybe somewhat a personality. That's a great point. By the way, I just saw a YouGov poll, which is nonpartisan, that said only 79 percent of Democrats would vote for Biden again. And Turnout, I think, is going to be a big deal because if who's more motivated, who's more motivated, or will people just sit this out because one, maybe President Trump is saying it's rigged, it's rigged, and Democrats may just not be interested, which I, they don't vote when it's not presidential elections. Great conversation. I want to come to you, Jay. There was a great human interest story about businesses banding together to give felons a second chance. Talk us about. Talk to us about that. Yeah, I, I love this story, Mark. So just as background, you know, today, one in three Americans, uh, more than 70 million people have some type of arrest or criminal record. And to put that in context, that's the same number of Americans who have college degrees. Uh, these Americans can't secure good jobs. And in fact, 65 to 75 percent of their record, are, follows their, their record follows them and they can't get a job. Um, fortunately, we've got a business coalition that's come together. It's been as diverse as the Coke, Coke Industries to J.P. Morgan that's ready to hire these Americans and give them an opportunity to uh, get get a job and there's really a two-prong approach one is the approach by businesses to recruit and hire and mentor uh, these individuals but the second is there's been a public policy approach and that is to introduce a set of what's called clean slate legislation so that you can expunge these records and give these folks uh, an opportunity and Senator Danny Britt a Republican from Lumberton has been a champion of the Second Chance Act we just passed a bill this in the state there's Senate a time this week. on that though, That's right? right there there is a time on that what is it, it, 15 years uh, well it, in some instances, it may be 15 years. In some instances, it may be permanent because it also covers misdemeanors. I mean, it's also nonviolent yeah. felonies. Uh, but but in the in the end, uh, this is really a jobs act, and it's a it's a rare instance, I think, of where you've seen real bipartisanship from the left and the right to come together. Well, you know, Nadira. Well, I think that you know it's been very well documented that there is an association between 
employment and decreases in crime or employment and redu a reduction in recidivism. So I think it's important. I Repeat think it has offenders. That's right. It, it's, it's, I think this has broad support, and I think most people uh, would support the idea of looking forward and looking for potential in people rather than looking backward about what they did before. And I think we see that with the House unanimous vote approving this legislation that you're talking about with um, second chance and um, expungement opportunities. America, Jonah, is a nation of second chances. I just so happened to watch The Shawshank Redemption the other day, and one of the key scenes for Morgan Freeman's character is when he's up for parole, and he talks about the word rehabilitated. And essentially, what is the role of our prisons? Yes, it's to keep our you know felons off the street, keep America's streets safer, but we want to rehabilitate people to give them second chances and give them you know a chance to be back and contribute to society. And we want to uh, reduce the number of repeat offenders. We want to reduce the number of uh, shootings and all these other things. And all of that is linked to unemployment. And when people have a purpose in life, there's no question that that helps them fuel support for their families, support for themselves. It gives them a dignity. Mitch, put this in context. No one wants murderers and rapists to be released from prison and go out and try to get a job. What we're talking about are people who have different types of crimes, for the most part nonviolent crimes, many of them uh, from their younger days when they didn't really know what it was like to be an adult and the types of things you had to do. To have a record follow you throughout your life and limit your economic opportunity is just bad for everyone involved. It's bad for the taxpayers. It's bad for those uh, business owners like Representative Perret who are trying to find good people to work right. for them. So yeah. doing something that helps the people who are not going to be violent offenders get to jobs is a great idea all the way around. Jay, wrap this up in about 30 seconds. Final thoughts, my friend. Well, I, I think one thing to reiterate about what Mitch said is that when in, a, in an economy where we're looking to fill jobs, I mean, this is a win-win. It's an opportunity to rehabilitate folks, put them out in the job market and hire them. That gives them a great future, but also gives our, our state and our communities a better future. Okay, I want to go to the most underreported story of the week, Mitch. There's been a lot of talk about mask mandates, vaccine mandates. One place you aren't going to see either one of those is the General Assembly. Uh, <laughs> Legislative Services Officer Paul Coble recently sent out a letter. It was responding to a letter from House Democrats who were asking for some sorts of mandates, and he said no. He's not going to mandate either for the members of the General Assembly or staff or any of the people who access any of their meetings that they have any of these mandates. Instead, he says that the General Assembly is going to continue with its enhanced cleaning, thermal cameras that are measuring supposedly the temperatures of everyone coming in and out, and they're going to follow the CDC guidance and state health guidance on what to do in terms of quarantines when you know of a case of COVID-19. But for now, no mask or vaccine mandates at the legislative conference. So that's subject to change, or you think that's made in stone? It, it is probably made in stone unless the people who carved the stone tell them to change it. Aaron, underreported, please. Yes, I have American Farmland Trust ranks North Carolina the second most threatened state behind Texas for the rapid conversion of agricultural land to other uses. Um, population growth is a cause for this in more urban areas, as we see in Southern Wake County. You know, if you drive down to Willow Spring, you'll see you know multi-generational family farms that are active agricultural working farms have little signs outside of their property saying stop the 401 bypass, please save our farms. And it's an emotional issue for a lot of folks. They could just can't 
pack up and leave and go find another farm. And, and I think area planners are really struggling with how to improve mobility in the future with all of po the population growth happening in North Carolina. So it's a big deal. And I don't think a lot of people know how big of a deal it is. Uh, the Economic Policy Institute released a report on the increasing pay between CEOs and workers. So today, the CEO to worker pay gap stands at a staggering 350 to 1 ratio today compared to just 15 to 1 in 1965. And the other interesting aspect of this is the average CEO today makes nearly nine times what the average person will earn over a lifetime in just one year. Is that an issue you think potentially coming up in, in future elections? So, I, you know, I think this is a, a really interesting issue, and I think it's an issue that's being tackled by, both by Republicans and Democrats because I think there's a, a real battle to focus on working class. And so I think you'll see more of this coming from both sides of the... But how would that, inter, you know, uh, impact capitalism and free markets? I, don't, I mean, I don't think it'll impact capitalism at all, but I think what it suggests is that as we move into a gig economy, we have to have policies in place that allow uh, to create a better safety net as the workers become more free agents and move from job to job. But they talk about putting more workers on boards, right? Uh, I mean, that, that's, been, that's been some of the uh, legislation that we've seen from the, the progressives, but I, I'm not sure that there's an agreement on that among Jonah. Democrats. Underreported, my friends here on this side of the table are going to have plenty of debate about how much money and budgeting for education. But public schools in North Carolina right now, and actually across the country, are flush with cash thanks to three separate stimulus packages from the federal government, two signed by President Trump, the third and largest, the American Rescue Plan, signed by President Biden. $4.4 billion has been allocated for North Carolina's 115 school districts. Of that, only about 7% has actually been spent. The CARES Act, which was the first bill passed, that was in March of 2020 or somewhere April of 2020, 62% of that cash has been spent. So there's still a lot of money left over from that. So what's underreported is just what basically these school districts are sitting on, what they're going to do with the money, how they're going to decide how to spend it, what role are they going to give to parents, to teachers, to administrators, who gets the final sign-off. Uh, it's something that uh, journalists, we, we need to be following, but I think it's also a parent should empower themselves to look at it as well. Okay, let's go to the lightning round. Who's up and who's down this week, Mitch? My who's up is Elizabeth Beiser, who is Governor Cooper's choice to lead the Department of Environmental Quality as the secretary. She recently had a confirmation hearing in the state Senate, and unlike the previous nominee, it went much more smoothly. Uh, the previous nominee had got uh, tripped up on some questions about energy policy and the Senate. Uh, Republicans decided not to support that nominee this time around. Not as much of a problem. So a secretary of the Department of Environmental Quality. My uh, down child marriage in North Carolina. Until recently, North Carolina, well, I guess uh, until the bill gets signed, it's still true. North Carolina, you could get married as young as 14. But there's been a lot of talk about changing that law. And so now there will be a lot more restrictions on anyone who will get married under the age of 18. Aaron, who's up and who's down this week? Up is the number of immigrants to the United States southern border testing positive for COVID-19. So the AP reported that on August 4th, local officials in McAllen, Texas, announced that out of nearly 88,000 migrants released uh, by Customs and Border Patrol, uh, since February, 8% had tested positive for the virus. Positive tests recently show that ticked up, surpassing 16% positive rate. 
down. Down is, and this is, I know we all know about this and feel for these folks, but as a military spouse of a combat army ranger for 12 years, I, I really feel terrible for the what's going on right now with our combat veterans who served in Afghanistan. I mean, the loss of life and limb, and not just a sacrifice on the soldier, but the family, and they're looking at the time they spent there and what they really fought hard to achieve, kind of go down the drain, and I think there's a lot of um, reflection going on right now, and okay. it's pretty sad. Who's up, who's down this week quickly, Jay? A uh, number of homes that are being constructed, uh, which has soared since the uh, housing market crashed back in uh, 14 years ago. There were 700,000 single family homes that were under construction in July. And who's down? Uh, the state's pistol permit. Uh, the state Senate voted to eliminate the pistol permit, arguably one of the most effective laws to keep guns out of the hands of felons, domestic abusers, and other dangerous people. I will note that Republicans argued that the law is outdated and that we already have a federal background check in place. Who's up? Who's up? Down this week, my friend. Well, I, I look. It's tough to find an up when anything related to Afghanistan. But I'm choosing to see that the reengaged public after war fatigue. I mean, this was a forgotten war for a long time. Now people are talking about it again. They're also talking about American strategy and foreign policy. I think that's a good thing for political literacy. Uh, down, literally, just uh, right as we are taping this show, um, Mike Richards. Uh, now has the record more than uh, uh, Scaramucci with the uh, shortest tenure of any job, no longer the host of Jeopardy. Okay, headline next week, Mitch. Lawmakers finalize plans for redistricting hearings from the mountains to the coast. Aaron. Following a summer where demonstration turned into rioting in downtown Raleigh, which resulted in damages to businesses and looting, the North Carolina legislature will pass HB 805 uh, next week, preventing rioting and civil disorder, uh, which will significantly increase penalties um, for citing a riot. And I have to mention the ACLU came out against this bill. Will the governor sign it? I don't know. What are <laughs> you doing, To be determined. <laughs> Headline next week. I'm not answering that question. Um, against the backdrop of mass mandates and critical race theory, children start back at school. Headline next week. School opens and kids are thrilled to be there. First time ever. Okay. Yeah. That's it for us. Great job, panel. Hope to see you next week on Front Row. Have a great weekend. Major funding for Front Row was provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Ku Yuen through the Yuen Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities. And by... Funding for the Lightning Round is provided by NC Realtors, Helen Lockery, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, Stephen Gleason, and Jane and Van Hip. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row.